Hey everybody, what's up? This is Anifa Walida. Hey, this is Red Summer. Our gay aunties, and we are so <laughs> we are so excited today. Uh, we've been trying off and on to get um, this gentleman on, and um, we are pleased to have the one and only Teak Milan. Uh, on air with your gay aunties uh, to talk about uh, whatever we're going to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me, y'all. Oh, of course. It's it's always um, a pleasure. And just to give people just a quick uh, um, history, at least between uh, Teak, myself, and Red, uh, what we have in common um, is we both were a part of uh, the taping of uh, You People, which is a documentary um, go to youpeoplemedia.com to to find out more about it. But it was just this kind of moment of time uh, where we all got together to shoot a music video back in the days. God, 2006 is back in the days. <laughs> that makes me feel like, old. Oh, Say again? I said, that makes me feel old. That was 12 years ago. My God. You know what I'm saying? Ugh. I'm like, oh, God. I'm go. Where did the time go? And just, and I, I said, and that's one reason why I'm actually excited, you know, to talk to you because it was such a long time ago. We were all different people to whatever extent, and our lives have traveled, uh, literally traveled to all different places, and and has grown um, immeasurably. And uh, I guess one of the things we actually wanted to get in with you, Teak, is your life has grown immeasurably since 2006. <laughs> <laughs> And more importantly, with, with your most recent addition uh, to your family, uh, the most beautiful Soleil, your your daughter. Uh, I'm just going. I'm just going to. I'm going to just put that name out there, Soleil. Uh, but how does that make you feel? How does she make you feel? Oh my gosh, she makes me feel beautiful. I just had to run upstairs because she's crying. My poor baby. She's woke up from a nap. Um, it's it's amazing having this this little ray of sunshine in our lives. That's why you know uh, my wife wanted to name her Soleil, which is uh, French for sun or sunshine. Um, it's just been amazing. She's really changed like everything. We have a kid, you know, your whole life is, is just a whole 180, you know, it's just a whole new world of parenting and children and it's a whole new skill set, you know? Um, but it's been great. I, I love being a dad. I really, really do. Well, can you, can you maybe bring us through the journey? Just, you know, FYI, you probably already know Red Summer is, is a, is a, is a mother or a parent rather. And, um, I, I'm, I'm really curious actually to hear more so from the both of you as far as that journey, but maybe you can like just kind of, because listen, let's just, just, you know, when I, when I, when I think of you, Teague, you know, I mean, uh, I love you and people love you for many different reasons. But one thing I really appreciate about you and Kim is that you've been very open um, with your lives um, and your journey as a couple um, and just navigating this, navigating this world as a queer couple. Um, so I would love if you're willing to talk about, you know, what is your story, your narrative, your journey around deciding to have a child and what that was like for you? Um well, you know, for, for me, and I always wanted to have kids, you know, and um, so, so did Kim. So when we met, Kim was already on the journey of trying to find a donor to have a baby when we first met. And so, and this was like, this before we even got married, you know, we had started talking about having children before we started getting married, before we got married. Um, and so for, the, so for the whole four years that, you know, we had been married since the very beginning, we were like vision boarding about having a child, talking about it, researching it, looking at all of our different options. Because, you know, as queer people, as LGBT people, you know, making a family is really deliberate, really intentional. And it comes with mm. a lot of sacrifice. It comes with a lot of like compromising and negotiating, you know, whether it's having to having to involve a third party, whether that be a donor or, you know, an adoption agency or clinics. You know, there's always somebody else that's in your business, you know, um, that you have to work with, you know, so that it was, it, it was really challenging. It was really, really challenging, but you know, we finally were able to find somebody that was a fit for us that would help us, you know, uh, curate our family. Um, and it, and it worked, you know, uh, which was really good. You know, Kim suffered a miscarriage two years ago, um, in 2015, that was really, 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 really difficult. Um, mm-hmm. that, that set us back for, for a little bit. Um, but then, you know, once, you know, we were able to work through the heartbreak and the trauma of that happening, we were able to, to say, OK, just really like focus on making a family by any means necessary. And that's what we did. And so now we have our daughter and we're looking forward to having another one. Actually, we're hoping to get started on baby wow. number two. Yeah, we want to get started baby number two probably in January. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like on, like on Soleil's birthday. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, we're gonna wait for she's like a year, and then we're gonna start, you know, with the insemination process again. Wow. I nope. wanted to kind of talk to you, or I guess get some feedback from you about um, what it was like for you to um, watch Kim during the pregnancy, like that whole process of the preparation. A lot of times people talk about like um, the concept of being prepared for parenthood. What was that like for you? Yeah, I don't know if you can really be prepared. I feel like for a lot of the nine months this kid was pregnant, a lot of it was just like us waiting. You know what I'm saying? Like it was like the first trimester was it was just okay. We were to make sure this pregnancy is viable, right? So it was like we were like really quiet and like really calm, you know, just really like good energy, zen shit, fucking meditating and shit, you know. That was happening, and then and, and Kim was really really sick during that first trimester. Like, mm. I remember coming home because she was in Toronto at the time and I was in New York for a while and I came home, I hadn't seen her in like two weeks and she just like collapsed in my arms crying because she was so sick. She couldn't keep nothing down. She was only eating like boiled potatoes. Um, and she had made a pallet on the bathroom floor at the toilet. That's how much she was throwing up. Like it was oh, just wow. so bad. It was so, so bad. That first trimester was awful. She was like, why didn't nobody tell me how bad this was? Um <laughs> She was like, this is fucking terrible. So by the second trimester, the second trimester, um, it was more us like talking about like what it meant for us to like nest. And really us, a lot of it was us working on our relationship. You know, we had to make sure like, you know, Kim and I went to couples therapy, uh, you know, as any couples, you go through your issues. But one thing that we realized was that what we had to do is we had to be good to each other in order to be good to this child, even before she came. So it was like, we had to make sure that we were, you know, that we were in a loving space and that we were in a compatible space during the pregnancy as to not stress her out in any way. And also something that we also have to keep practicing as parents, you know? So I think us having a baby has really brought us together. So I think being prepared, that was the most important thing for us to do was to make sure that we were being good to each other in order to be prepared to be good people to this little person. That was the, that was the biggest preparedness, I think. You know, I think preparedness being the, the the word to emphasize here that, you know, as a queer couple, we have that, dare I say, privilege, yeah. <laughs> you right. know, to to define what being prepared is and actually, you know, being proactive about around being prepared for a child as much as you can be, you know, having not had a child before. Yeah, because it's like, you know, I've talked to so many different parents, particularly like you're talking to straight people, straight people, most of the time, they don't plan to have kids, you know, they, you know, fuck around, somebody get pregnant. Oh, well, you make it work. You know what I'm saying? You find the space, you find the money, you find the time. A kid is coming, you're going to have to make it work. So it's like, so as far as like those like tangible kind of things, we knew all of that was going to follow, follow as far as financially, as far as having a home together. You know, she and I have, you know, we're, we're gainfully employed. We're, we're fine in that way. Um, but really it was about like energetically and spiritually what, what does it mean for us to be parents? What does it mean for us to be two people that love each other and to set that type of example for our daughter so that she knows how to be loved? So she has a really clear blueprint of what like unconditional and respectful love looks like because she's going to get it from us and she's going to get it from the people around her. And that's another thing. Like we really like curate who we allow around her mm. and we don't, you know, who gets to see her and who, and, and who doesn't, you know, we want, really want her to be surrounded with like the best type of loving people. Um, so that was that was another really uh, aspect of like that deliberate kind of intentional love and family that we have to do as as queer folks. And, you know, even like the intention when just speaking of family and intention, because I think most parents want to be mindful who comes or, or shoot, even touches, <laughs> you know, um, the baby, you know, uh, especially a new baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm curious, like what the relationship is. And usually there is, um, oh, I shouldn't say usually that's a really big general statement. It probably isn't that much true, but let's imagine that usually, you know, with, you know, uh, straight couples, it's, uh, um, let me ask, let me just say this. I'm, I'm okay. curious to what, what uh, play that you both, both of your families came into in the support of, you know, uh, um, having Soleil, 
because you know, no matter whether you're queer, or you're straight, but in particular with queer, you know, uh, um, children that are making uh, children, uh, young adults or just adults that are making this decision, you know, that's something that you have to think about. What is your relationship with your family? What will their relationship be with um, uh, the child? Right. Well, is that something that came into play? Well, I mean, that's, I mean, I guess, um, you know, Kim, Kim has people back in Trinidad, but for the most part, she has a really small family and, it, and they're not necessarily like super, super connected. So for, so for her, it was about the chosen family that, that she has here in Toronto. Mm. So many amazing people know how we do in our community. Like we make family, you know what I'm saying? Like we, we have people and we, we down for them forever. You know what I'm saying? Like they become our sisters and our brothers and our cousins. And so Kim has an amazing chosen family of people here in Toronto, uh, which is, you know, and being that everybody's queer, they kind of, you know, they kind of knew like what questions not to ask. They knew, you know, most of the time, like how not to be too, you know, evasive and invasive, you know. Um, as far as like my people back in Buffalo, they knew that, you know, like I said, it wasn't something that just happened overnight. They knew it was something that we were really preparing for. And that's something that we really wanted, we were working on. They knew that we were working on this for this entire time. So they were just really, really, really super supportive. Uh, you know, people always got their advice, you know, that's what I found out as a parent. Everybody want to want to give you advice on how to raise your child, and it's like I appreciate it, but most of the time <laughs> it's like I'm not. Doing, you know, we gonna do our own thing over here. You know, a lot of that it was all well meaning. Um, but you know, for for us, you know, my mother passed away in 2014. You know, she and I were very mm-hmm. very. She would have just been so overjoyed with this baby. Kim's mother is very very ill, is gravely ill, um, and doesn't really can't really communicate. Everything really does have a capacity to be in her life. Um, so we asked uh, Alexis DeVoe who is a mentor of mine uh, and a friend of mine for many years to be her grandmother, you know? So that's her Nana, her, so it's Masani or Alexis and her partner, uh, Sakari, um, are her Nanas down in New Orleans, you know? Um, so we, we wanted to, and also it was important for us to make sure that Soleil had a lot of like strong black women in her life. So she has them, mm. she has like my stepmom, there's my sister. We have some amazing like queer women here. Like like her, my, 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 my daughter's a godparent is, you know, this butch indigenous lesbian named Day Day. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Day Day is like, Day Day is just hood, just hard thug woman. You know what I'm saying? And it was just great. We, we wanted her to be able to see, you know, what womanhood looked like from so many different places. You know, because we don't mm. know what kind of woman she's going to turn into. We don't know what kind of person she's going to be. She may come to me one day, she wants to be my son. Whatever. You know what I'm saying? We just wanted to make sure that she had really loving and amazing examples of different types of people, particularly different types of women identified folks. And she does, which has been really great for her to have so many different people to call her to call her family. I agree um, with just that whole concept of how we create our families and queer communities um, on our own. I know for me, my children have a whole lot of parents <laughs> and aunties and uncles and you know, a whole lot of mamas and babas right? who um, have been absolutely influential, if not like just pivotal in my being even able to say that like my I've been able to successfully raise my children to adulthood. Like there were right. certain things that I did not know about my children that the village, you know, specific people in the village knew. And those were the people that they could go to for those things specifically. Right. And little, I didn't know what size shoe my son wore for about five years. <laughs> <laughs> Once he started really caring about what kind of shoes he wore, then there were people in our village who knew about those kind of shoes and they took him to pick them out and, you know, did all that kind of stuff that I just wasn't, you know, the, the go-to for those things. Um, so I think it's, it's beautiful and wonderful that we've been able to navigate those kinds of spaces, especially to, um, bring children into loving environments. Right. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And I think too, it, it, counterbalances what could be otherwise a very stressful experience when you don't have that community and that support system. Parenthood can be very polarizing, right? It could be very isolated. And a lot of couples uh, struggle 
a lot when children come along. Like on TV, the baby comes, everybody's happy, right? <laughs> but a lot of times, you know, it's it's a very stressful thing to figure out and, and negotiate and navigate. Yeah, hell yeah. Having a kid is stressful. It's hard. It's it's so demanding. It's you know, the, you know, your kid kind of becomes your boss, particularly when they're at the, when they're little mm. like this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that can be really hard on on a person, a single person who's raising a child by themselves and doesn't have any support. I couldn't like sometimes I have to travel. I travel a lot for work, so when I travel for work and Kim is here by herself, she's like, I don't see how people do this by themselves. Like it's just so so hard. It's so hard for us to do it together, you know, or being in or being partnered with somebody who doesn't take their responsibilities seriously as a parent. Or it's a full time parenting. Like I hate when people. People like um, they they position it like I'm babysitting my child because I'm the dad. Like I'm not babysitting my kid. I'm parenting my kid. Like I don't babysit her. I'm, I'm her dad. Like this is what I do. Mm. <laughs> I hate that. You know. Um, so I can see how that could be how could, that could be really stressful. But then again, I, you know, I think that this is really a testament to like the queerness of uh, the queerness, the the brilliance of queer people in our community and how we can be blueprints for a better better a better model of creating family and creating. I was just thinking the same thing. You know, because it's Mm -hmm. so deliberate and it's so intentional. And I think if people who weren't a part of this community could understand that, you know, let let me tell you, my wife had told me this quote yesterday um, that really started to hurt. And it it was the the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb, which basically is saying that, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the bonds that you make out here in the world, which are really, really important. You know, it's the people that you choose to be in your life that you create these promises with and these and these and these agreements with that sometimes going to see you through more than the people who you know you share a bloodline with. You know, and I think it's, mm. as queer folks, we understand that because so many of us have lost you know lost family members because of who we are and who we choose to love and all of these things, and we have to create community. You know. Um, so yeah, it's been really great, and I'm just I'm really happy to be able to bring my child up around just LGBT folks. That's just basically all, the only like straight folks you really going to be around are the people that I'm related to, <laughs> you know. But other than that, <laughs> I will keep it real. Other than that, everybody that I know and love is on that LGBTQ spectrum someplace, and are just really, really amazing people. And I think it's going to be just awesome to watch my child be raised in this community and to see how it's going to influence, you know, the kind of person that she is as she becomes an adult. Absolutely. Yeah. That. That. That's. Um ideal like <laughs> you know i mean and, and ideal even in, in in the in the in the sense that how as you know a queer couple and i'm talking to all queer couples out there who may be thinking of or in the middle of uh being you know parents and listening to this the sometimes i think you know you know, us wanting to have children or having family that from a uh, aerial view looks like your kind of nucleus. So just, you know, we want to make a family that it can sometimes be misconstrued as an assimilation to a straight way of, of parenting, even though of right. course there's overlap because being a parent is being a parent is being a parent. <laughs> but um, that, that sort of power that we can um, embrace in regards of really defining who is around our, our children. It's almost like, a, um, yes, blood family is, is very important if you're lucky enough to have, you know, um, a healthy family right. <laughs> that's going to contribute to this process. But I right. think even sometimes in the straight world, they even have to struggle, straight parents have to struggle because they have to navigate family. And it's almost like this weird um, obligation that mm-hmm. you may have to family, like, well, you know, that's my niece. So that's my, you know, that's my grandbaby, you know, what, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, and like you kind of have to give in to some extent um, where at yeah, least what I'm hearing it. from you, you know, um, that you have clear boundaries, you know, around the world that you want to create or the people you want in Soleil's life. And I think owning that sense of power as a parent um, mm-hmm. is incredible. And you're right. It is, it is forging a way that, parents to kind of empower parents um, in the raising of their children and not always being beholden to these kind of family traditions of obligation and so forth right. and so on. Right. Or, or, this, yeah. or this kind of like this notion, this tradition of disempowering children. You know, I want my daughter to feel mm. empowered to make choices. You know what I mean? Like I remember growing up as a little girl and I have this cousin, my cousin Guga. I love Guga. He's good people. But, you know, Google always smelled like beer and his beard was always so scratchy and awful, right? And my dad would always make me hug him. I fucking hated hugging him. I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. 
you know? You know, and it wasn't, he wasn't creepy or anything. I didn't like how he smelled. I didn't like how his fucking face felt on me. I didn't like him, you know, um, as a little kid, but I didn't have the power to say no. And I think particularly as little girls, I want my daughter to be like, no, I don't want to hug this person. I don't want to be around this person. I don't want to eat this person's food. You're not obligated to do anything because somebody's related to you. That's, I don't, I don't ever want that for her. And I think that that's a, that's a new model. Well, for, for me, it's a new model because in my family, uh, families I've seen kids are disempowered to make their own choices. They have to do, you know, they have to do this with this person. They have to, and I'm not, I, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. No. That is a new model. Cause you know, when I was a child, you had to do everything adults said <laughs> or else. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else was. I never got that far. Cause I just. There's a place where we have to have authority over children, right? Because we are, you know, we're we're in charge, right? This, but I think there's a there's a fine line between having that authority and still letting your child know that they have some autonomy and that they have choice. Because I think it's the safety in having autonomy and having choice and having that fostered in your life, knowing that you have a choice, that you have a no. You know, no is power. I always say that when I give my talks. I always say when, you, when somebody takes away somebody's no, you're taking away their power. You know, and I don't ever want my little girl to feel powerless. And if so many people do that to little girls and to women all the time, take away their, you know, their power to say no. And they're always feeling obligated to say yes. And, you know, it'd be accommodating. And I don't want my, my kid growing up feeling like that because of her gender, you know, that, you know, because the gender she's assigned at birth or the gender that she identifies with later, I don't ever want her to feel obligated to say yes to anything that she don't feel comfortable doing. You don't want to hug Uncle Guga? Don't fucking hug him. I ain't like hugging him either. Everything's fine, you know? So, yeah. I definitely support that. I think that was one thing too. My my best friend and I laughed because, um, you know, she she has been with me since my daughter was seven or eight, and she's now twenty three. <laughs> so <laughs> very much like you know another uh, parent in her life. And so when we talk about you know just personality traits and things like that, you know, she'll also say, well, we raised her to, you know, to speak her mind and we raised her to, you know, to, to be kind of sassy and to not take a lot of the stuff that we had to take and, you know, and not believe a lot of the stuff that we had to believe and participate in a lot of stuff that we had to participate in. So I, you know, definitely support that concept and, just again, applaud you being able to find the people to support that journey in her life. Yeah, thank you. It's been it, it's been good, particularly just you know people in community. I think understand that idea of having autonomy and being able to have you know choices, be able to say yes or no. And I think it's important for little black girls. You know, what I'm saying yeah, be a little sassy. Have you know have some standards. You know, my my daughter grows up and she grows up and she ends up being straight. I want her to see the love that she's got from her father to be such a high standard that can't none of these niggas touch her. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like my daddy has loved you know, me yeah, so Yeah, let's can you know let's let's my daddy gives me everything. You know, and that's that's ex- exactly. I mean that that's I'm, I'm listening to you, and it's like you know, and, and if, if as far as my experience, you know, with the raising of little girls, basically it's been through teaching, and the thing that is just consistent with young girls, and I've taught elementary, middle school, and high school, is that cultivation of voice, you know, and voice for as far as expressing your ideas and feeling that you are, you know, you have a space to do that or can make the space for yourself. But even more importantly, you know, just in, as a nod to the Me Too movement, how as young girls, this is basically speaking to what you're speaking to, because their voice muscle, if you will, is mm-hmm. not cultivated at a young age. I think a lot of, of girls, when we say hashtag me too, it's shit that happened when we were young and literally didn't have the voice yep. to really understand your voice, to not just say no, but how understand your voice enough to get out of the try to get out of a situation, you know, to really, really, you know, from the giddy up, know the signs when someone is invading your space or violating your space, whether that be physically or verbally. You know, and we're taught to be so quiet so early on and that that teaching becomes almost an identity of what it is to be a girl that mm-hmm. when it's it's beautiful and rare for me anyway, to experience a young girl that 
you know, their parents did the job of cultivating her voice at such an early age. And then when when her voice is strong, still in school, sometimes she is criticized mm-hmm. for having that strong stance, <laughs> you know, because nobody wants to hear a black girl speak her mind or especially when you're young, you know, you don't really have sense of, you know, a fine tuned way of speaking your mind. You're just going to speak your mind. <laughs> you're, you know, you're a teenager. <laughs> And that's always seen unlike what it is. And that's someone that is that has cultivated their voice or at least is is not doesn't have any fear around cultivating their voice. So I, I say just bravo to that. because It's so, so, so important for young girls to understand that because there's all these little nuance incidents that can happen in girlhood. And, and a lot of times they happen because it's this understanding that girls won't say anything, that girls don't know how to say anything in the moment, that they'll just be quiet. Right, right. So it's such a gift to give that to, and, and young, I'm going to say give that to your young boys too, because I think it's even it's, it's even more of a quieter thing that these things happen to young boys as well. But so to your children, to really cultivate their voice and, and setting boundaries around their body and their psyche. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's so so beautiful and important. Yeah, it's just, you know, I think it's just, it's our way of just trying to protect her. And it's like, you know, I tell you this, I could almost like probably 90% of the women I know and the people who used to be women have had to deal with some type of like assault or harassment, you know, on from various degrees, from things that are just severe and heartbreaking to just like a little shit in the street, right? We all, like all of us have kind of been through this and it's just, and it just, it it makes me enraged to think that one day I'm not going to be able to protect her from that. You know, but what I can do is, like you said, try to give her that voice, you know, let her know that she can, you know, I don't know. I, I, don't, know, I don't even know. But just try to try to protect her from that. And just, and if anything ever did happen, what I do want my daughter to know is that she can always come to us no matter what. They'll never keep secrets from us. You'll never be in trouble. No matter what it is, you can always call me. Okay, what you and your friends is doing. Y'all got caught smoking a joint. I don't know. You stuck someplace. Just call your father. I'm going to come get you. Not in trouble. Like, just really let her know that not only does she have a voice, but she'll always have a home to come to and she'll always be protected. And that's something that my mother really instilled in me. And, you know, with my mother not being here, you know, it's important that the legacy of love that she instilled in me, I give to, to my child. And that's what one thing my mother used to always say to me. She used to say, as long as I am breathing, as long as I'm on this earth, you will never be homeless and you will always have food to eat. You know, that's what she would tell us. She's like, if you go to jail, if you go to jail for killing somebody, I can support you because I understand that. You go to jail for beating somebody's ass, I get it. You know, I'm going to be there for you. But if you ever go to jail for stealing, if you ever go to jail for stealing, mm. do not call my number. Because as long as I'm on this earth, there's no reason for you to steal from anybody. Mm. You ain't got nothing, bring your ass home. Be here and you got a roof over your head and you got food. What else you need? Yeah. You could be here. And I always had a sense of home growing up. Always, always, always. Until this day, that house my mother bought in 1976, my sister lives in it. It's home. You know, and I want my daughter to always feel that she has a home, that she can always come here. She can live with me rent free until she's 60 years old. Don't matter. Whatever happens, you always, <laughs> place, you always got a place to be. You know, that's really important for me. This is um, reminding me of a time, um, just a little nod back to you people, when I was uh, touring the film, I remember I was on a radio program and I was asked, um, God, I hope I didn't say this in an earlier episode, but I'll just say it really quickly. You know, I was asked, what could I tell uh, parents of queer kids? And you're basically speaking to it right now. It's like, whatever for whatever religious reasons or faith reasons or whatever political or social reasons you have that you feel that you need to eject the extreme move of ejecting your child from the, the street where that is a, that's something that's an issue is that you're, you're not carrying them through. Right. So it's like, you, you know, it's like, so it's, it's not that you're putting a queer kid on the street as if that queer child deserves the street, mm-hmm. but you're putting a child, a child on the street that has not developed the wear through to, to navigate this world. So you're basically sending, you know, him or she to the, to the, uh, to the sharks, right. you know? know, and, and so what is that as a parent, what does that say to you as a parent, regardless of whether you agree or disagree or how they are navigating through, right. you know, the world as who they say they are, you still have an obligation at least I ain't even going to say it to what age you have an obligation to make sure that when they are, that they, when they are ready to go out into the world by themselves, that they have a good judge of character, That's right. <laughs> you know, like, you know, they can, they can start because you have to kick them out of somehow. I mean, they have to, you know, they have to face the world as somehow, but it's one thing to do that 
to let them out into the world as opposed to kicking them out into the world prematurely and you have not finished your job as a parent right. and preparing them for that world. Right. And I don't understand how people do that. Now, as a parent, this... There's nothing in this world my child could ever do to make me turn my back on. Nothing. Not not one single solitary thing on in this earth could my child do. And when I was working at Hetrick Martin, there were so many young black queer kids who came through our doors that were kicked out of their homes by their parents. Like, you know, one of what my, my son is you know, my son in community, I met him through at, at, at Hetrick Martin because he was living, he's from South Carolina. I think both of his parents were pastors came out as gay, they kicked him out. And that sent that boy to New York City when he was like 20-something years old, 20 years old, by himself with nothing. Nothing. They had to be mm. doing sex work, HIV positive, all of these things. And, I, and, and that was just one story. It was just so countless stories over and over and over again of people choosing either their religion or their boyfriends or their girlfriends over their kids. And I just, I just don't get it. I just don't understand how love can be conditional when it comes to your child that you are supposed to be raising, you know, somebody that you gave birth to or contributed to or are just raising. I just don't, I don't understand it. It's just, I don't know what switch. Something has to, hmm. something is not clicking, mm-hmm. you know, cause once you have like, I, you know, I watched this little girl be born. I watched her come right out of my life, you know, and I've been in her life every single day. The bond there is so thick. There's just, like when she's not, when I'm not with her, I feel it. You know, I, like I miss her like physically in my heart. You know, I just don't understand how people do that to their children. I just don't get it. I'm glad you brought yeah. that up because um, I have a similar experience in like taking in these children who have been, um, you know, thrown out of their homes or, you know, had to leave for whatever reason. Um, their families aren't really um, accepting of them. And so at young ages, like not even 20, like still teenagers, mm-hmm. um, they're yep. on their own. And I, I try not to, I've never been in a position where I've judged the mothers of the children who came to me, um, who, you know, have been introduced into my family. But I think even um, speaking about the topic now, like I, I will say that I don't um, understand it fully. Like, you know, I, I definitely, yeah. you know, as you're saying, after watching the child go through all these things, because most of it is not a surprise. Most of it is not a shock. Most of it is not the First time right. you you thought that maybe your child was a little different from the rest of the children. <laughs> right. that the child, of it. If you've been paying attention at all, like they've been communicating things to you, you know, in a lot of different ways. Um, but mm-hmm. I think that um, it's not the child that you're upset with, you know, in those cases. Right. That's society right. stuff. That's peer pressure or or fear of being rejected yourself or, and that kind of stuff. Um, but the child suffers. Right. Yep, it's and I think it's really selfish, narcissistic parenting because what it is is that you know people the turn it back to the child because the child didn't turn out to be their wildest dream. You know, like you had a dream for who, who this little person was going to be. Maybe you wanted to live vicariously through them. Maybe you wanted to. Do things want them to do the things that you never got to do. But guess what? Your child isn't yours. They're theirs. They're their own wildest dream. Like you know, Soleil is my daughter, but she's she's her own person. I have no, I have I have no like I can't make her be who she's not. My job as her dad is to guide her into being the best person that she's going to be. Right? I don't. There's no. I don't have a. I don't look at my kid and picture her in, in a wedding dress or picture this or picture that. I just I just want to guide her to having her own future. And being her own person. And I think people go into parenthood, you know, thinking that their kid is going to be who they want to be, who is going to represent them in a certain way. And that's and that's where people get it all get it all fucked up. Like if that's how you're thinking about being a parent, you should rethink being a parent. Because it's not about what you want. It's not about you projecting this ideal image of them. Uh, you know, onto them or, uh, you know, trying to pro- trying to project like getting all of your wrongs right through your child. Like that's not that's not what it is. You know, it's just about raising this child to be the best that they can be. And yeah. that's it. 
That's really it. And when you let go of these, this idea that your child is is your is your wildest dream, right? Is 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 your ideal, and you start to realize that it's just about them being their own idealized version of themselves, then all of that other stuff falls away. Mm-hmm. You know, all of it. it yeah, falls but away. even I mean, that is such. Uh, <laughs> It's such a simple but revolutionary thought because most folks do have children in part for selfish reasons. You know, they want to make a mini them yeah. um, or they they want to, in, in ways, live vicariously through the child, which I think is probably the most toxic relationship you can have, oh you know, where the child is you're more so guiding them to be what either a dream that either you couldn't reach or some sort of duplication of what you have done type of thing. And, but but I'll I'm going to say this only from my experience with dealing with parents mm-hmm. um, and to some degree parents who, you know, the way they deal with, like if their child is something wrong or whatever, whatever, how they deal with it, I can see that they're, it's almost like a, a the child becomes a reflection of who they are, period. Right. right. You know, because you are responsible from day one. So you feel like, you know, everything you're putting into them, that's something like one plus one should equal two. Right. And even people are somewhat, not aware of all that they're giving their child, good, bad, or what have you. They just are aware of what they think they've given their child or what they've imagined they've given their child and they expect a certain outcome. And actually, you know, nothing, nothing, uh, Red, you spoke to this and you people um, when uh, Deepa was having issues Mm -hmm. around her mom, you know, as far as to some degree, regardless of her mom not being able to accept who she was or who she had become, you know, that, to some degree, you have to honor that process of someone investing into the child. And I think people invest in children different ways, you know, and it's almost, you know, if you, to some degree, honor, like, even if it's some degree they can't accept what the child's become as a big surprise or, you know, whatever <laughs> that is, that if you maybe as the child, and I'm saying this to all those who may be listening and maybe dealing with this, that part of your own healing process is understanding how your mother or your father has been walking in the world and then you came along, (laughs) you know, and what they're actually able to give you, you know, Um, because I think sometimes, you know, some parents maybe don't do the best job, but they attempted and it didn't quite work out how they or the child would have liked, but they carried you through. And on that default alone, I think sometimes we as the children can, especially when you're younger, even if your parent wasn't abhorrent, Okay, especially when we're younger, we're easy to put a lot of blame on our parents for how our lives are. Um, You know, if you would have done this, if you would have done that. And I know for me where my peace came from, and I think my mom was actually pretty decent, (laughs) but, you know, she's not perfect. But, you know, you know, like I wasn't abused or nothing like that. She just was trying her best and not for nothing, even my father. But where my peace came is understanding more so of the people they were as opposed to my parents Mm -hmm. and that this is what they were able to give me. This is what I took from it that really helped shape me positively. And what helped shape me negatively, I can look at it objectively. It's like, okay, this was a gift that keeps on giving that's not really (laughs) helping me out here in life. So let me try to unpack this so that I don't pass it down you know, to anyone that I impact in my life. I don't spread whatever that is that was given to my parents before I was even a thought. So I just want to just give a, a nod out because I think sometimes in the queer community, you know, we've dealt with so much with, with unaccepting parents that we, that I think we've lost someone of the nuance of the parents who have the potential to to re-enter your life in a positive way, but we may have cut them off because of certain yeah. expectations we might have wanted from them and they weren't able to meet it at whatever time. That's yeah. I just wanted to just put a nod to that. Yeah. yeah. I, I hear you. And I think that I think parents should have room to grow and to be better. Like I look at my mom, you know, yeah. my mother had me when she was 33. I'm the youngest of four, but she had my oldest sister when she was 15 with a man who was 27. So let's, so, and, and, and okay, and this is like in the, my sister's in her 50s now, so in the 60s. So there might have been not a lot of talk about like how inappropriate that relationship was. So my mother gave birth at 15, but he was having sex with my mother before then. This is a grown ass man, right? Mm-hmm. So, it, so mm-hmm. she wasn't, you know, but it wasn't framed like that then. And, you know, we have to understand. So I know that my mother was a different mother at 15 years old than she was at 33. You know, I think my mother really resorted to really like punitive 
uh, you know, abusive measures when it came to my older sisters, you know, and I didn't get it like that because she grew. And my mother even say, like, I'm not, you know, I was young. I didn't know what I was doing. I was scared. I was by myself. Like, you know, she's in all these abusive relationships. And my sister would say, like, the mother that you have is a whole 180 from the mother that I had. And, mm. and it's so amazing to watch her grow. And my oldest sister, you know, forgave my mother for all of the mistakes that she made, you know, raising them. And they were so, so close. And I have my other sister who could never forgive her, who just couldn't get past it. You know, she wasn't there for my mom's funeral. I haven't talked to my sister in 10 years. Like she wasn't. Mm. And, and, you know, and I, you know, and I've talked about that with Kim and it's like, you know, me and my sister don't get along, but I also have to respect her space that she just wasn't able to, to watch that growth. She wasn't able to to forgive and, and, you know, because the childhood trauma was just too much. And, you know, even though my mother was an amazing mother to me, she was not perfect. No parent is perfect. Um, and, you know, and sometimes the children have to suffer from those imperfections. They have to suffer from the, from the trauma that has been passed down to them and the trauma that they've had to endure just, you know, making us and raising us, whether it's alone or in like fucked up relationships, you know, there's a lot of context to, who people are, particularly as as parents. And as a parent now, see how hard it is, how all-consuming it is, and how just, it's just, you know, I'm on four hours of sleep every day. I don't even know what, what a whole night <laughs> feels like in the morning. Now. I don't even know. <laughs> okay? I don't know what day it is right now. Like, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. So it, it, there is a lot there. And I think that sometimes, and you're right, in queer community, we could just go to this place so quick and not give folks space to grow. But, you know, and I also think for me as a trans person, I know that I had to give a lot of people space to transition with me, you know? So I think that that's something that I've learned in community. It's just about giving people space to, to, to understand people differently, to grow, you know, to ask questions, you know, to make mistakes and to honor those mistakes. You know, I think that's something that I've been taught in community that maybe folks outside the community not are necessarily are, isn't necessarily modeled to them in the way that it's been modeled to me. So you're really hitting on something really um, incredible, and something that one of the things I really uh, something you said something similar uh, actually in, in in the film that I really love repeating when I teach the film in the class. <laughs> as far as the no, as a, as, a, as far as um, I think the. I'm trying to label something, but the family oriented approach to coming out as trans in particular um, and where you were able, you you said something to the effect where um, you're giving everyone, everyone is coming out with me, you know, so everyone needs that space and time to fully get comfortable in a word. So I can demand that you use such and such pronoun, but you still like literally your brain still needs to get a condition to that. So, you know, your conditioning is not so much reflective of your love for me. It's just what it is. It's conditioning the brain so that you can better love me. And I, and when you, you didn't say exactly like that, but you you basically said that. (laughs) And I appreciated it so much because I I think it's something that had been missing um, from coming out in general, but in particular, more recently, the, the, the experience of a trans person coming out because it is this huge social and cultural wall of non-acceptance right. that um, we don't really think about, okay, no one knows my family more than I know my family. Mm-hmm. How does Uncle Bubba, how is this going to be for him? I love Uncle Bubba, but Uncle Bubba says some transphobic shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, you know, or, you know, how, or how is, how is this going to be for mommy? So in almost weighing the love that you innately, I don't care it's not so much who you are, but these are the people that were around you from jump. Mm-hmm. So you're going, you can't deny a love that you have for them, even though yeah. sometimes it can be crippling, right? Yeah. Um, how do you approach coming out for, for these people so that they are best equipped to meet you halfway? What does that actually look like as opposed to kind of this blanketed, I'm out, deal with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you should be able work. to deal with it. Yeah, that's not going to work. And I know when we coming out, I I was really intentional about, first I knew I, the, I could come out to my mother and I wasn't going to come out to everybody in my family. I knew that I could come out to her. My mother was the matriarch, you know, like the kind of the head of the family. And once I told her, and she, I had to get her in line and get her cool with it and her understanding it, that she would go 
and tell everybody else. And they would fall in line, you know, and I also knew that she mm. had support. I knew that she, you know, her, her, her sister were very, very close, you know, her best friend. I knew that she had people that she could talk to, you know, and I, I encouraged her to like talk to people about it, but I wasn't about to go out and tell everybody because that wasn't going to work. So I knew that my mother was going to be my buffer. And she was, and she was like, listen, I don't understand this trans stuff. I don't understand. This is, I don't get it. This is some new shit. I don't get it, <laughs> but you know, Teeth is my child. Okay. And I love him. And if you got a problem with him, then you got a problem with me. And she told that to her sisters. My mother loved her. My mother was so close to her three sisters. She's like, you got a problem with my kid. Then we all got problems here. You know what I'm saying? Um, So, you know, that was, that was strategic on on my part. And I knew like, you know, everybody just loved and respected my mom so much that if she was with it, they would, you know, they would just get with it. They would, and they did. Everybody just kind of fell in line. I was like, oh, well, just what Mary said, Mary said goes. (laughs) Captain, exactly. (laughs) Captain did. That's what Captain said. So that's, that's what's going to happen. And that's, and that's how, that's how it was, you know? And I did, and kind of the same with my dad. Like I told my dad's more nonchalant. Like I came out to him and, he was just kind of like, whatever, you know, and I remember our family reunion came up and I was really uncomfortable about going. He was like, hey, man, fuck it. You're my son. That, that's it. Now that's it. <laughs> 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 he, said, he said, man, fuck them. Come on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I had that, I had that protection there, you know, and I don't know what my father's process was like to, to make that transition with me, but I know that like my stepmother, her daughter is a lesbian. Um, and you know, so he had he had his wife to talk to about that and what the, and they mm. kind of went through that journey together because like my my sister my my, my um, stepsister came out around the time I came out as trans and I know that they had support there you know so I was trying to be really gentle with it I gave I had boundaries I, you know I gave people years like good three four years to get my pronouns right you know it's like wow wow years like I know you're going to keep screwing up and you're going to keep screwing up but it gets to a point where you screwing up is just you intentionally not doing what you're supposed to do it got to a point where I had to tell my mom like listen I told I said listen I'm not coming home no more unless you could get my pronouns right my name right because first you're embarrassing me when we do this out in the street people looking at you like you're crazy when you look at a grown man and say she (laughs) okay it's humiliating and you could be putting me in an unsafe space. And when I told her that, that's what kind of a light, hit, you know, light switch went off. She was like, oh my God, I would never want to make you feel unsafe. And so I told her, I'm not coming home no more. And I knew that would devastate her because we were so close. She, you know, was always wanting to see me. So I remember one day she called me and she said, Tikaboo, I've been practicing. Me and Stella, that's a sister. Stella, we've been practicing. We've been practicing on our keys and our hisses and on our teeks. And I was like, I'm very good. Very, very good. It is really I guess I'm going to come visit. I'm going to come visit. You know, and then right after that, she sent me a um, a Valentine's Day card talking about how much she loved her son. And she, and then, and that was my, my birthday. It was like my 31st birthday, which is such a weird birthday. She threw me a surprise party. And I think that was her way of of, of celebrating me. And it said, teak on the cake. It said a, big, a picture of me, you know, like a, like a man picture of me. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, and it was all this, my son, my son all over the house. And I think, you know, it, it took her a time, to- uh, you know, some time and space, but she got it together. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! You're, you know, uh, the the family of your, I mean, the story of your of your your family. Uh, this is just, um, I mean, look, it's warm in my heart. I'm sure I'm not the only one um, because it's, uh, and I'm not even gonna say it's rare. I'm just glad that it's a story that can be heard, that it, it exists. You know that you know what we're talking about here is what is parenting outside of how we personally identify. You know what I mean? Like, what is that? What is it that unconditional love? Rather, I think probably one of the gifts, and this is probably one of the kind of the, 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 the wrap up question I wanted to ask you, you know, what are the things that part of parenting is embracing the opportunity to actually learn from our children? Like it's not just a one way, you know, street of I'm giving all of this knowledge or know how, whatever, to this young mm-hmm. being, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But at what point do our children start teaching, you know, um, us and being open to that dynamic of our child helping us expand as human beings? And and then and then and then understanding an even deeper love through that. Yeah. You know, for me, it's it's I think it's already started. My daughter's only four months old, but she's already teaching me so much about patience and about communication. You know, she can't talk. You know, all she can do is. (laughs) All she could do was like babble and scream, right? And cry. <laughs> you know, and and I've seen parents get so frustrated with their crying kids and they can't take it, or you know, people fucking shaking babies and shit because they're crying. I don't understand that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But, you know, when she's, whenever she's crying, like when she's screaming into my neck at the top of her lungs, she's not doing it to annoy me or to frustrate me. She's doing it because she's trying to communicate with me. So it's like I'm just trying to figure out what she needs. And part of me being able to figure out what she needs is her dad because I just got to be patient. I just got to be patient. And I have to be gentle. You know, she's, she's teaching me. And this is one thing my wife always says that I think my daughter is teaching me is to be hard on the issue and soft on the person. So how mm. do I be soft? Or my daughter and still go hard on the challenge of what it is that she needs. She's just screaming in my ear. It's it's so loud. I don't know what she needs right now. But I'm gonna be soft with her and I'm gonna try to love her and I'm gonna whisper in her ear that it's okay. And then I'm gonna play with her. I'm gonna change her. I'm gonna feed her. I you know I'm gonna put her down. I'm gonna pick her up. I'm gonna change positions. I'm gonna figure out what she needs and I'm gonna do it as patiently and as gently as possible. And I think for me that's a lesson a lesson of communication that I can take not just with her, but with my wife, with my friends, with my family. What does it look like for me to be patient in the face of screaming? And sometimes that screaming can look so many different ways, you know? Mm. That's what I've learned already. That's what my daughter has taught me so far in the last four months is patience and patient communication. And I, and I know as she grows, she's going to teach me so much more. But that's, that's, that's the lesson I've taken so far in the last 120 days. <laughs> you talked a little Teague, about um the process of like coming out with your family with the adults um i had to have the experience of like coming out to my children right mm-hmm. <laughs> and thinking yeah. about like what like when was the right time like how do you discuss things um in child appropriate ways um mm. i remember one day i was in the car um and the children were in the back seat and my daughter says something about um something about gay and i you know was asking well what is that like what what do you know about that <laughs> you know and right. you know so she said what she knew about it and i said well you know, you know, I just explained, well, you know, mommy and, and her friend, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, mommy and her friend. <laughs> and so, you know, whatever the words were, of course, this is, you know, 12 years ago. I don't know at this point. Um, but she said, well, then, mommy, that would make you a lesbian. And I said, oh, what's the difference? <laughs> and, you know, when a girl likes a girl, like, you know, like she would like a boy. And I said, oh, okay. My son is four. Burst out into tears. Screaming. What's wrong? What? I don't want you to be a lesbian. He is like falling out. And she's like, oh, no, boy, that just means mommy has a girlfriend. And he was like, oh, okay. Like, stop crying. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> Like he knew that he had heard the word lesbian. It was something about that that had a negative connotation. But even when she explained it to him, like it let me know that like, okay, she has a a grasp about, you know, about this that I don't have to worry about per se. Um, And that she's able to, you know, communicate this to him in a way that um, helps that process alone. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just kind of thinking about, well, one thing, I know that my daughter's never been ashamed. Like right. she's never been in a place where she's like not said, you know, my mommy and her wife, you know, right. <laughs> or that right. kind of thing. But I think society is changing in a way too, where, you know, the stigmas and all that stuff that used to be really strong just are not there. Children these days really don't care, you know, um, as, as they may have. Like, this is not an issue that children have to worry about, you know, being mistreated at schools and things like that. It's just not as pressing. But I am um, just wondering about, you know, and two, your baby is, is just here. <laughs> You know, just what it is or, you know, your thoughts around maybe coming out to Soleil. Yeah. You know, Kim and I have talked about that. I'm never, we want to create a world for her where I never have to come out to her. She's just going to know that daddy's transgender. 
because she's going to know so many different people. Like the truth of her life is going to be that there are different, there are people of many different genders and and different variety of what that looks like. That's why it's so important for us to have so many differently gendered people in her life. Like I told you, she has her her one god parent, Day Day, is butch lesbian. Her godfather, her god puppy, is is a butch lesbian. Her godmother is is a femme lesbian. You know, um, she has an auntie who's a trans woman, and then all of these people in the community. Her her doula is a gender nonconforming person whose pronoun is they, who's also our babysitter. You know, she's always she's going to be brought up around people who are different, and it's just going to come a time where she's like, oh yeah, you know, and you know these cis men and they're trans men and daddy's a trans man you know i think that's something that she's just gonna we want her to just know i don't ever want it to be a moment where i have to sit down and, and tell her that you know and when it comes to the time she's she understands what trans is and understands well if daddy's trans and didn't make me even how do i get here then there's another conversation that we have to have about you know the other half of her genetic material and what that means and who that is and and what that relationship can look like you know but i don't, I don't ever want to have to come out to her mm-hmm yeah, and that's, you know, please, you're going to have a myriad of conversations right. <laughs> about a myriad of things. Right. This is just one of the things, mm-hmm. you know, because, again, you're in this world to teach her as much as you can before she has to learn for herself, you know, and, and that's that's the beautiful thing. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. That's, that's why for us it's so important for, the, for what we're going to show her is that gender is a spectrum of possibility. It's a special possibility for her. It's a special possibility for the people that she's around. And she's going to understand like where mommy and daddy fall on that spectrum. And then she's going to be able to choose where she wants to fall on that spectrum too. And just, you know, live her best life. I think that this conversation has been really um, empowering, um, you know, not just for young uh, queer parents um, or even older queer parents. Cause I have uh, friends who are around my age who, who recently um, uh, adopted um um, their daughter, and she's like three going on four, I think, at this point. But regardless of the age in which you choose to be a parent, because you have that option, <laughs> for the most part, you know, I think this has really been, this, this conversation has really been a testimony to the power that we embody um, as queer people to really kind of relay out the landscape of what it is to parent um, and putting children into this world that literally has a different paradigm shift, you know, like a different paradigm of how to see those new people who come into the world, you know, into their world rather. Yeah. Um, You know, things are just defined somewhat um, differently. And I, I even, you know, I can't even imagine thinking a particular, like being raised that I meet someone new regardless of, I'm not even thinking about what their gender expression is. They're just who they are. Like that Mm -hmm. is something that how it should be, (laughs) you know, where we can maybe even remove all these labels. It's just like, oh, that's Teak. Oh, that's Red. Oh, that's Anifa, you know, Mm -hmm. in the story. And, you know, I think, you know, your generation of parenting, in particular queer parenting that's really on it like this, is is just such a a gift and a contribution to the world that we know. <laughs> is, you know, whatever generation Soleil is, Lord knows what they're going to call her generator. generation. Okay, who knows? Yada, yada, who knows? Yeah, whatever. Yada, <laughs> yada. <laughs> you know, like actually, me and Red were saying like last time, uh, the last episode, how say me and uh, uh, Red's generation, you know, people, or rather the generation that's a little bit older than us, you know, they started actually really coming out out in their 40s, whereas in my generation, more so 20s. You know, mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, millennials, they, you know, wow, you know, teenagehood and Generation Z, you know, five, you know. Right. <laughs> <Coming> out- <laughs> so many four and five are so self-aware. It's like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? So self-aware, but 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 not just self-aware, but we, the generations that come before them has slowly cultivated an environment for that to happen. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, you and Kim's contribution to just yet another human being that will get it. <laughs> instinctually <laughs> yeah. it's a beautiful thing Thank it's a beautiful thing so yeah. that's what we want we want to raise her in a world that should be not necessarily the world that is I say. You know? I mm. say. I say. thank you T <gasps> thank you yes thank you T for, for giving for giving you know your time um, just catching up um, a little bit um, and just you know staying on it because I know between you know raising Soleil and just living doing the things that you're doing in the world that you know you know, time is what the hell it is. <laughs> okay. So, but you know, so I'm, I'm happy to have you on. It was so, it was, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Yeah. And, and I think it's going to give to a lot of people who are thinking about parenthood or in the middle of parenthood or even think about their own parents, you know, revisiting um, that. Um, these are the conversations we're trying to have. 
um, on your gay aunties. So those who are to whatever degree younger than us who are trying to navigate this life, love, relationships, you, you name it, um, that, you know, you have something, you, can, you know, two people you can lean on. In this case, you know, Tika is, is joining us as well and kind of hearing real testimony, people who've lived um, a life that you are either stepping into or in the middle of trying to experience yourself. You know, it's good to have your gay aunties, your gay uncles um, that can say this and, hey, you know, saying you're not alone. <laughs> it's all good. It's just living. So, again, thank you, um, Tika, for being on the show. We so appreciate it. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Say word. And the conversation doesn't have to end. Like if people have questions for us or for Teak, you can uh, send us your questions at yagayaunties at gmail.com. Send them in. We'll still try to communicate those and try to get information back or just feedback on what you thought about the show, how you're feeling about it, any experiences that you want to share with us as well. We're always open for that. No doubt. Okay. And with that being said, uh, yes, I am Red Summer. And I am Hanifa Walida. And we are your gay aunties. Bye, Bye baby. Bye, baby. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>